Hello world, this is Ahmed back at you for February 26th, 2020 for an update on the current events of the previous week and some of my take on the events of said week and what's going on in this crazy world that we live in. Um, beginning with Enrique Tario, leader of the Proud Boys, has done an interview with CNN where he was uh, asked questions about the role that the Proud Boys played on the January 6th uh, Capitol insurrection where Trump supporters rushed the Capitol building, uh, destroyed property, and threatened to murder members of Congress as well as the vice president. Um, Taria was asked what, what the, the charges that have come down from the federal government uh, against the Proud Boys, charging them with uh, conspiracy to commit several, I guess, uh, criminal acts, I, I suppose. Um, they didn't get into specifics on what those conspiracy charges entailed. Tario was asked whether these charges were fair, given his characterization of the Proud Boys being nothing more than a fraternity of sorts, um, that his denial uh, that this was a violent white supremacist organization um, whether these charges of conspiracy fit the Proud Boys and what they intended to do on January 6th. Now, Tario himself was not implicated in what happened uh, at the Capitol building because he had been picked up two days prior for destruction of property, I suppose. He uh, stole a white, or I'm sorry, <laughs> a Black Lives Matter flag from a church, which he then proceeded to burn. Um, after his arrest and after what happened at the Capitol, it came out that Tario had been an FBI informant for quite some time, um, and he had a past uh, criminal record that then put him in the crosshairs of law enforcement, and then eventually, I guess, you know, he found himself being a, a, a an informant, right? So the CNN reporter asked him um, whether he was giving information about the Proud Boys, um, insinuating that he was there to inform on them. Um, his response was that there was no information that he gave up on the Proud Boys and that they had just uh, got swept up in the energy of the event and that's you know some people just lost their heads like it was some kind of event that was not pre-planned right that was his characterization that's that's uh what he had argued and when pushed on this question of there are several people in the group that were on video on camera and there's hard proof that has actually been made public already that had already been in the public sphere, you know, prior to these people catching charges, um, that clearly signify that this was an organized, like, event on behalf of the Proud Boys, uh, he denied that these people were even Proud Boys. So it's, it's, it's ridiculous nonsense. Um, you know, there is a question as to why CNN would even Put this person on television of course you know they want ratings which i'm sure that that's what they got but it, it served no real purpose to interview someone 
who is clearly a sociopath, like cl a person who is clearly not interested in divulging any information and uh, got on television to help his case, which didn't work out because, you know, w within his interview, he goes on to say that the people in Congress are not interested in their constituents and they're only interested in getting reelected and therefore uh, he doesn't care about what happens to them, um, which hurts his defense um, to a certain extent. Uh, and then and then he goes on to talk about he wants to, you know, he insinuates that he's going to run for office, which is ridiculous. Um, yeah, like it's it's ridiculous. And this person is the fact that he would be on television. It begs the question, why would his lawyers and if he is truly an FBI informant, why is he allowed by the FBI even to go on television and, you know, talk this way? Right. You know, he, he did not give any sort of legal you know, any answers that would protect him from uh, incriminating himself in a legal proceeding. So it's the, the question is, like, does this guy have some kind of amnesty um, or, or some kind of immunity? I'm sorry. Totally plausible, right? It, it makes no sense. Anyone who is facing very consequential legal proceedings would not go on television and do an interview like that because it was all over the place. It was, it, it, he projected his, uh, very like base personality and, um, just, a, just, a, it was just complete nonsense. You know, it was there for the, for the entertainment value. Uh, but moving along, um, Biden, Joe Biden's first month in office had has actually passed about a week ago. Um, he was inaugurated, of course, January 20th, as presidents are uh, inaugurated on that date. Um, and a few, like, events have, you know, consequential things have happened in the past month or so, uh, which is to be expected because of the era that we live in. We're in kind of an emergency state where there needs to be legislative and executive powers being exerted because we're dealing with multiple crises all at the same time, whether it be climate change affecting people living in Texas, or if it's the COVID crisis and the um, the vaccines that are being rolled out and all of this, like event after event after event, back to back to back, right? And I don't think it's necessarily a function of just like the news cycle that has, you know, it used to be like a 24-hour news cycle. Now it's like a 15-minute news cycle because we're always looking at people's tweets and tweets are making the news and they have uh, some some real impact, just basic, you know, 50 character tweets or less. So, but I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the reason why so much has happened. I think so much has truly, so some events have actually happened um, that are then affecting the, the quickening of the news cycle. So with Joe Biden, you have events such as um, this COVID relief package that is taking far too much time to be certified and to, uh, you know, to, to be voted on by Congress. 
Um, all of this deliberation on things like $15 minimum wage, deliberation and prop, I don't want to say propaganda, but rhetoric about the $1,400 relief paychecks that are going to come out. Uh, the question of whether this was supposed to, initially it was supposed to be $2,000, but then there's this shell game that the Democrats are playing to say, you know, oh, you know, we're, we're not going to reduce it from $1,400. Well, that's not the question. The question is, it was $2,000. You've already reduced it. You know, you can try and make the case that there, you, that people had already received a $600 check, but um, that was under a different administration and a different session of Congress. So how does that make any sense? I mean, you could say you could, you could then in using that same kind of logic, then we could apply that. Uh, we could apply any previous government support, um, or relief package to what is going to come out in the future. You know, they could be like, Oh, we're going to come out with $2,000 checks next month. And then when next month comes, they could say, Hey, you know, back in 2009, uh, Obama already did a uh, relief stimulus package. So we're not going to give you anything this time because we already gave it to you back in 2009. It doesn't make any sense, right? And I, I think it's the Democrats shooting themselves in the foot, which they are often want to do, which is so frustrating for anyone who espouses progressive notions of how society should function, uh, that you have two parties that are... One of them is actively is like an active malignant force in society that it is there to hoard wealth for the wealthy and to actively punish those who are unable to defend themselves. They are there to punish immigrants. They're there to punish um, immigrant laborers. They are there to punish um, people who are dependent on drugs and alcohol and anyone who anyone who depends on a social safety net they are there to inflict pain upon and that is their only function they have no real they have no policy arguments they have no sort of philosophical standard because republicans used to talk about the national debt and this this idea of you know uh, low taxes and small government is good because of freedom. It makes you free because you don't have the government telling you what to do. But all of this is completely has been exposed as just nonsense rhetoric because the Republicans have been, when in power, they have made government bigger and they have, you know, vastly inflated the budget deficit and they have vastly increased the national debt and they have you know, vastly increased uh, spending on the military and expanded wars and all of these things that they claim that they're against. Um, once they're actually in power, it seems that th there is no, you know, all of all of that is just rhetoric and they're the complete opposite of anything that they espouse, even though what they espouse is also, from my point of view, un unacceptable, you know, for, for a variety of reasons. But then the issue is that you have a Democratic Party who then does not provide any sort of opposition. And this is, a, this is a, an argument that I have with people such as my father, who, you know, some of these older people in my father's age bracket in the 90s that voted Democrat and they had, you know, they were members of the Democratic Party. They had it on their voter registration and all of that. 
the idea that these neoliberal third way, you know, we can we can try to balance things out approach does not work because the Democratic Party is also it, it doesn't do it does very little for social be, the social benefit aspects of governance. And at the same time, it is also a servant of moneyed interests and powerful people. And, you know, in foreign policy, it does nothing different than the Republican Party, but continue the same, the same, you know, drone wars and the same increased intervention, the interventionism in different countries. So Joe Biden, within the first month, has already bombed um, an Iranian outpost where apparently there is some the government argues that there's some terrorist organization based out of there, whatever, man. Right. Uh, it's, and we never know what the actual, what the details of it are. It's a, it's as if foreign policy is a complete curtain. There's a curtain around the United States to where we don't see anything outside of what's going on inside of the United States, especially when it comes to the activities of the U S military abroad. Right. So they can tell us that they're bombing such and such, but we don't know that. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know that they've assassinated, you know, some whatever, some, some, some professor that's working on nuclear energy in one of these countries. If this is a target attack on an American. We don't know if Americans are being extraordinary, extraordinarily renditioned to different countries to be tortured or whatever. We don't, we don't have any information about that. And all we have to go on is what the authorities tell us is happening because the news is not even reporting on it, right? You know, that you, you, that where are these embedded uh, journalists at, right? Where is the video evidence of what's going on in these places? So it is very concerning that we don't know what's happening in these places. And there's, because we don't know what's happening, uh, it makes it very difficult to hold these powers that be accountable for what's happening around the world. And it, you know, from my point of view, it um, points to some real troubling potential occurrences around the world if they're going to this length to hide what's happening. You know, if they're if they're hiding so much, then you know that it is some it is very serious what is what is going on abroad, right? Or what they're doing abroad that they would be ashamed to even to to show anyone, or they'd be afraid of whatever the public uh, outcry would be, right? So yeah, I mean, uh, essentially the Biden administration outside of making some good policy choices has in, in certain aspects continued the previous administration's policies. Trump administration's immigration policies have been tweaked. The, this children in cages situation, this ICE essentially doing whatever they want to do has slightly been stymied by the Biden administration, but not much has been changed. There's there's no revolutionary change, which is a problem. This incrementalism is a problem because when the people who voted for you do not see immediate change from the catastrophe of previous years, then it makes it possible that the same powers that were there previously who've caused all of this, all of the, the pain, all of the instability 
are going to come back into power. And what they do when they come back into power is they exert their strength severely. You know, they, they use their strength immediately, they, their power. They come in and they, they do immigrant bans and flight bans on, and, and visa bans, which was another thing that the Biden administration had rectified allowing for green cards to then to now be available to potential immigrants to the United States, which they were not in the past, I think, year or two years under the Trump administration. But that's not enough. You know how they say, uh, give them an inch and they'll take a mile? Well, I mean, that's kind of how it is, really. Like, the, that's how the Republicans are. You know what I mean? The, the, the Democrats give them an inch and then the, the Republicans take a mile. And that's that's kind of the situation we're in. Luckily, the Republican Party is in some turmoil. At least that's what the media would have you think. But you never know because the Republican Republican Party and Republican voters in general are quite willing to go along with the status quo or to work on behalf of the authority figures that are involved. It appears as if there's a rift between certain members of Congress with uh, the Trump wing of the party uh, and then the establishment side of the party represented by Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney and all these old school Republicans, right? That are there that, that have a certain, that have like a policy stance uh, on let's say like tax cuts and whatnot, which the Trump side of the aisle is okay with, but their real focus is more on demagoguery and conspiracy theorists, you know, theories and demonizing the other immigrants and, you know, non-whites and just, you know, complete naked fascism. So one side is, you know, corporate lapdogs in, in the Republican Party, right? That's what they do. They're there just to serve their corporate masters. And then on the other side of the Republican Party, you have naked fascists who call for, you know, internment of certain ethnic groups. And, you know, this, like a throwback to the early 20th century in places that we would like to think are backwards, you know, uh, backwaters of, of, of civilization. You know what I mean? Where where things are blamed on like, you know, the, the witches and stuff like that, like, you know, witch burnings and, and that sort of that sort of mindset that we thought that human beings had actually moved past and we study it, study it in uh, history books and look at it as like something to laugh and also to kind of be ashamed of and to assume that we've already moved past it. But it appears that this sort of thinking is still there and the half of the Republican Party Half of the parties governing the United States um, is fully in on this kind of paranoid, delusional view of the world uh, and provides no sort of like policy standard or, po or, or platform even. Hillary Clinton is kidnapping uh, children is not a policy, right? You know, the earth is flat is not a policy. QAnon is not a policy. It's just delusions and schizophrenic 
ways of looking at the world and then trying to employ that in governing a society of people. And this is the issue that, this is the problem that we find ourselves in. The more stable party within this bipolar political system is doing nothing. It's, 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 not, it's not taking a hard enough stance and doing enough to maintain some semblance of stability. And the fear is that because they're not really doing anything to oppose what's going on, they're not resisting anything, and they're sort of interested in just being reelected, their argument for being reelected is like, hey, we're not the crazy guys. But you're also not doing anything to stop the crazy guys, right? And eventually, if, if you're not going to do anything, then people are going to not vote for you your your initial like motivator to keep you in power is no longer there and then the lunatics are going to run the asylum now uh and that's my worry that this is just the biden administration can be two things right it could be it could be really effective they could really go in and and put their put their fist down and stop the internment of migrant laborers they can provide sufficient health care for for society for people they can enforce a federal living wage they can do student loan debt forgiveness they can invest in manufacturing back in the united states they can you know truly go in and actually do something substantial and that would counteract what is going on with the Republican Party, and it would it would certify that then they would be reelected, because that's the direction that the majority of society is headed in. I mean, say what you will with the governing system. I think society, though, is generally speaking, moving in a pro- progressive direction, and there is a small minority that is completely crazed and reactionary and afraid of the future, afraid of what of the unknown, that they will try to fill that void with conspiracy theories, with irrational fears of other people because their skin color is different and that sort of thing. And then these politicians in the Republican Party that then exploit this for their own political gain, and then you get people like Ted Cruz, who is a complete scumbag, right? Not like not even a scumbag in a not even a a a brave scumbag, right? Like a cowardly scumbag. You know what I'm saying? Someone who does scummy things and then will not take ownership of those scummy things that they do and not on top of that will blame the scummy things that they do on other people even if they are their own children. The same sort of person that will have let someone speak ill of their wife okay speak ill of their family and then continue to just ingratiate themselves to this person and 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 attempt to at least and just you know deal with all of the insults this person hurls at them and to then emulate this person it's the most disgusting scummy like gross the grossest sort of personality that you could come across. And these are the type of people who 
exploit the delusions of the reactionary minority within the United States and attempt to derail de democracy, essentially, because they would not win re-election otherwise. So these interests are like forming a, a sort of coalition with, with one another for their own benefit, I suppose. And then you have a another political party that is not reacting to this. And then you have Joe Biden coming out and saying things like, we need a strong Republican party, Nons like making such a nonsense statement. Why do we need a, a strong Republican party? No, we don't need a strong Republican party. If you want to say that we need stronger like stronger i don't know electoral system maybe if we need more if we need multiple parties if your if your concern is that one party is not is not good to have like having a single party run the country is not a good thing fine okay that's okay but that doesn't mean that the republican party should be that you know the other party Okay, if you want two parties, which I disagree with, that doesn't mean that the Republican Party should be the other party. Okay, because they have shown themselves clearly to be detrimental to this democratic system and the stability of the United States, where in four years, the United States turned into a complete, you know, banana republic in a in a certain uh, respect where I'm sorry to use that phrase because I know that it has certain um, negative connotations, but it, it, it turned into what we used to look at, um, or what we used to, you know, say about these countries that have coups and have these insane jingoistic, uh, strongmen running their country, right? We used to laugh at North Korea because of their people's hysterical worship of their leader. But then look at these Trump supporters. They display the same sort of behaviors that you get in an autocratic regime like the ones in Iran that we love to point at as, oh, look at how backwards they are. Oh, look at North Korea and look at how backwards they are. But look at how backwards we are here because we have the same sort of people that worship these, these, these people who prey on the ignorant masses and are essentially a black hole that sucks everything into them, like Donald Trump is. He's he's a completely self-centered, uh, the same way a black hole just kind of sucks itself inside and it sucks everything around it into nothingness. That's kind of what he is. And then you have these people that worship this person in a very bizarre way. So we can't laugh at these other places anymore because, look, we have our example right here. You know, a, a good a good portion of American uh, of the American population um, is brainwashed to that level, right? So moving along, um, you know, or just to kind of like close that point out, hopefully the next few months um will show that the Biden administration is actually willing to do a lot more than what we expect them to do within the first month they've done a few things that have appeared to be very strong and very decisive 
but then they've also shown this tendency to want to be more incre incremental, which is a huge mistake. And they have to choose which one. This thing, uh, this thing of, of trying to always play the middle road, you know, or try to find uh, the middle ground or play the fence. That's not an option. We are facing an existential crisis on many levels. And it needs a very strong response, right? Um, so hopefully we'll see some change in the, in the coming months and in the first year of the Biden administration. And hopefully they make an argument for being reelected, you know, instead of going right back and, and um, getting another Donald Trump. So moving along and speaking of the former president, uh, and, and this rift in the Republican party, it looks like Donald Trump will be speaking at CPAC, um, with the conservative political action committee, the yearly event where all of these superstars from the Republican party come and they make a case for why they should be reelected or, you know, they, they, they go up on stage to kind of present themselves to all their potential, uh, benefactors, you know, all of the corporate interests that are going to be putting money into their reelection campaigns and that sort of thing. And it looks like Donald Trump is going to be at the event. I don't know if he's going to be headlining, uh, but the fact that he's going to be there shows you that he still has massive power still in the Republican party, um, which then you can say signals that there is truly a rift within the party. And now you have like, you know, your Marjorie Taylor uh, Green. I think that's her name. Um, you have your Lauren Boebert. You have your, uh, what's his name? Ted Cruz. And, you know, all of these clown fascists that are in the mold of Donald Trump coming out and being the face of the Republican Party. And it is a cause for concern. And I think the way that the Republicans will, the establishment Republicans are going to continue trying to um, co-opt <laughs> these people, which I don't think is going to work. That's just kind of their natural reaction is like, oh, look, they're crazy. Let's go ahead and try to use them to further our, our goals of cutting taxes and giving more money to rich people, right? But I don't think that's going to work. You know, it's, it's like a race to the bottom with these people. So they're just going to compete with each other. Like who hates immigrants more? And that's what they're going to, that's what they're going to present to their constituents who are then going to be further radicalized to the point where like the, the, um, DC acting police chief, the uh, Capitol police chief has come out and stated that there is a plan <laughs> by uh, these right-wingers to blow up, still to blow up the, the, uh, nation's capital. Um, so that's why there are still troops and barbed wire and fences still around the national mall in Washington, DC. But <clears throat> yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. I believe that's happening this weekend and we'll probably have a review about it next week. Um, of course, next week I'm going to move to our new, podcast format and our new, um, podcast title. Uh, please be on the lookout for that. Not going to state it here yet because there's some things that might need to change, 
but we will be posting next week and uh, we'll be putting up more good content to follow maybe some video streaming stuff and um yeah stay on the lookout so moving along the big story the big economic story of the past week and has been actually in the it's been in the news cycle for maybe a month now but it has gained steam in the past week or so and it is the current semiconductor shortage uh, happening around the world it's affecting various industries uh, whether it be car manufacturers to computer hardware manufacturers uh, yeah and anything to do with semiconductors so like what is a semiconductor you know essentially it's it's the microchips that go into your computer when you open your computer up and you look at the motherboard and you see these uh, squares with wires these miniature you know wires coming out of them and connecting to all kinds of circuits on the circuit board these chips are there's there's a shortage of them and the and it's affected like the valuation of some of these companies and what these uh various companies are going to do in the coming like year because of this chip shortage that is affecting their products so for example uh ford and gm are limiting production on some of their vehicles to the point where i believe it was either ford or gm that is going to be closing plants car manufacturing plants because of the uh, shortage in chips that go into the um, AI systems within their, their, their cars that, you know, impact the, uh, soundboard and, you know, all the gadgets that run through your, the, uh, you know, your modern day cars. And this has affected the electronics in industry as well. Sony, I've heard news that, uh, companies who make video cards, graphics cards for computers, are going to limit production. The prices, of course, are going up because there is uh, a, sh a shortage in supply, but there's still high demand. Now, the different news agencies have alluded to this idea that the shortage is due to COVID um, in general but they don't go into necessarily specifics and they continue to allude to the idea that it's because people are spending more time at home. They're using more entertainment technology. They're watching more uh, streaming. They're buying more electronics. Um, the sales for laptops and iPads and whatnot have increased to suggest that the reason behind it is that people are at home and not at work, which I mean, that's, that's something that could be disputed. I mean, it could be for a variety of reasons. Um, yes, people are working from home, but then at the same time you have a decrease in, um, employment. So, you know, electronics are generally speaking quite pricey. They're marked up at, you know, quite expensive rates. Uh, regardless of what electronics you're talking about or what like computer electronics you're talking about. So I don't, I don't understand how that would cause a shortage that more people are buying, 
right? And now if you're saying that there is a shorting short on the supply end of things, then that, that would make sense. And you could say that, hey, we don't have people in these factories to produce these semiconductors. But then the question is like, why these semi semiconductors are not made by hand? They're, they use robots to produce these small microchips that have, you know, the, the, these wires that are a thousand times thinner than a strand of hair. There's no way that a human being can produce something like that by hand. All of these are made inside of factories. Now, if you want to talk about assembling the, the laptops or assembling your PlayStations or your televisions that require these chips, that's a different story, but that is not, that should not impact the microchips and semiconductors uh, being rolled out of these factories. They don't, they don't necessarily need people to be in these factories. I mean, we didn't have a shortage of meat and chicken and all of these other products that we consume uh, that are very highly reliant on human factory production, people being in enclosed spaces, which has not been good. That's a whole different story uh, for the you know increased infections. Uh, increased COVID deaths and whatnot. That's a whole different story. But then these technology factories do not require as many people as, let's say, a, a meatpacking plant um, or a car assembly plant, right? So I don't buy that argument. It doesn't make any sense. And there is no one who is coming out and explicitly saying this. Now, the question is like, you know, like maybe there's a shortage in the material that then goes into the semiconductors, right? So the question is like, well, what are semiconductors made of? And they're made of a variety of rare earth metals. You know, the, some of it's gold, some silver, some cobalt, and, you know, all of these. The, the most prevalent, though, is silicon, right? That is the, the biggest um, producer of these, or the biggest, uh, the, the most common element and the, you know, you, they call it Silicon Valley for a reason because uh, the technology industry in Silicon Valley depends on silicates, uh, you know, these, these elements that go into conducting electricity and, you know, allowing your motherboards to function, right? Sending information from one place to another. Uh, so you could say maybe there is a shortage in silicon, right? Uh, but, but silicon is actually a quite um, common earth metal. You find it all over the place. There's the concrete in building materials always has a mix of silicone in it. Um, you have silicone in all kinds of things like ceramics that you use for plates and dishes and things that you use around the house. Um, plastics require silicon, right? So that's not a good argument either, right? It begs the question of like, what is going on? Why is there a shortage, right? So we ask like, you know, where does this, where does the silicon come from, right? Or where do the, where do these, you know, microconductors come from? The biggest producer of microconductors is Korea. 
or I'm sorry. Ooh, let me <laughs> let me get that let me get that right. Let me get my my facts right. Uh, TSMC is the largest supplier of semiconductors, and TMC is the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. The biggest producer of raw silicon happens to be China, which has a level of dominion over Taiwan, or at least proclaims that it has dominion over the island of Taiwan. And China is the world's largest uh, producer of raw silicon. The second is Russia. Uh, so the question is like, what are what are the implications for these countries? What are the implications of a semiconductor shortage for these countries? Okay. The implications are really, if they're the producers, they're the ones on the supply side, and there's a shortage, that means that the price of silicon goes up and this is beneficial to them, right? Uh, you know, there's still a high demand for it and they're the ones that have the supply. So naturally, the price goes up. This is a positive for them. They make more money. Um, now, the news about the semi semiconductor sh shortage strangely doesn't explain like why the supply of semiconductors has decreased. So, so my illusion there to what is going on with like, you know, China and Russia, um, is that this is artificial, but I don't know the, you know, this is just speculation on my part because none of the official news stories out there are actually breaking this down everywhere you look. It's, you know, Oh, what, what, uh, companies to, to, invest in that are going to benefit from from the semiconductor shortage right and what they say is like oh tsmc now which which is now all of a sudden the biggest one it used to be like intel you know samsung was up there intel of course is like a u.s based company but now tsmc all of a sudden is is the biggest producer of semiconductors i don't think it's a coincidence that it's a taiwan-based company and then you have the silicates required to produce these semiconductors come from china right I don't think that's a coincidence. Now, with the Biden administration, they've come out and within a Biden's press conference, he mentions what is going on with this semiconductor shortage. And he goes on to mention like American dependency on semiconductors and how we need to move manufacturing of these products to the United States right? More of it to the United States. So we're not dependent on foreign exporters. Now that reminded me of the, the old oil dependency rhetoric from like the early two thousands that the Bush administration, and then to a certain extent, the, uh, subsequently the Obama administration began disseminating, you know, the, this, these talking points about, you know, we're too dependent on foreign oil and this is a national security risk for us. So, in, in my mind, I'm thinking like maybe there's some kind of trade war brewing in the technology sector that the that China is purposely reducing the supply or at least the supply that it is selling to the rest of the world to increase their profits and then making those same products cheaper for their um, domestic market, right? Or some of the companies that are, you know, that work, that, that are based in China, right? Now, to kind of like add some more texture to it, 
Elon Musk in previous weeks was reported to be having issues with Chinese regulators in his manufacturing plants for Tesla and them not necessarily meeting, you know, Chinese labor standards or whatever it is. You don't get details about what exactly it is, but yeah. Okay. So the Chinese were taking a hard look at Tesla. Now, China is producing an alternative to uh, Tesla, this this AV or EV, I'm sorry, electronic vehicle to compete with Tesla. So I'm thinking like all of this is sort of intertwined and has repercussions for 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 different nations and for different companies and for the uh, international like electronics market in general, but they all have something to do with each other. And it's not because of COVID. I think COVID is the scapegoat here. It's easy to just say, oh, COVID is the problem, right? But it's more than that. You know, the United States does not like to engage superpowers like China and Russia directly. So what are we going to do when it comes to an actual war? They, you know, they either do have a cold war or like a proxy war where they fight each other by supporting opposing sides in different countries, right? So that's that's kind of what I see happening here, that there's some sort of trade war happening between the United States and China, which has, I mean, under the Trump administration, it was already there. And the guy was always talking about trade wars are easy. They're easy to win. The trade war and China, communist Russia, all of this, all of this nonsense has left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And a lot of international partners and adversaries have probably come to the conclusion that the United States is not a stable, is not a stable nation. So some countries are pulling back from their allegiance to the to the United States and other countries who may have been coy about confronting the United States directly are more open to it now knowing that hey there are some deep internal divisions and very problematic systemic issues inside of the United States that they can exploit to their benefit so that's kind of what I think may be happening here. I think it's I think it's it's an issue between the United States and China more so than it is simply COVID-19 is affecting the semiconductor production and the uh, reserves of semiconductors, right? It's not oil, right? It's not some sort of finite raw material. And the raw material that goes into these semiconductors is plentiful. So what sense does it make that there's not enough and it's not it's not contingent on people being human beings being in close proximity inside of a closed factory uh to make these products these are machine made products right they they get pressed by you know some some big robot uh that that you know and it moves down a conveyor belt and some other robot inserts the different uh, chips and then another robot takes that and uh, you know uh, does whatever it does with whatever laser uh, equipment it's atta- attached to and whatever man I don't know what the what the actual process is I just know that these products d- do not rely on human hands to be produced and they also don't rely on elements that are hard to get. So the only answer is, you know, when when you have a product that is plentiful, it should be plentiful, but is 
uh, rare becomes rare all of a sudden, then the question then becomes why and is this artificial, which I'm leaning towards that explanation, that, that there's some sort of artificial hand behind it. And the fact that we don't know what the details are means there's there's a reason for that as well. The United States, I don't think, for its, pol for its uh, international policy position, wants to make this public. They don't want to... Yeah, they. I guess they, they, they don't want to answer questions about this because now anything said about it is going to impact the international market in general. And then you have companies that make cars and companies that make computers and companies that make televisions and any company, even, even companies that are, we are so dependent on this technology that even companies that make something that is so technology you know, products that do not have any sort of tech, technological function, right? Like there, there's, there's no parts of it that are like co complex technological pieces involved in it, right? So let's say like furniture, a chair, a chair does not need, if it's a wooden chair, it doesn't have any kind of like technology required to use the chair, right? Whereas like a television all of it is, all of it is like microchip, you know, needs microchips. So, but the issue is that even, even something like a chair needs, uh, to be designed on a computer, let's say, right? Any product, right? A house you need, so, you know, somebody, a company that builds houses, they use software that then they can design, um, the, you know, a house or whatever architecture, uh, that technology that they use to do that requires semiconductors, right? Any car that you're going to drive requires semiconductors. That's how you, whenever you, uh, if you ever go to like AutoZone or one of these, um, automotive, um, you know, one of these stores that, that sells like auto parts or whatever, they can just plug in a computer connected to your car and then you're going to know what's wrong with it. Why? Because, your car has the semiconductors within it that transfer information that then these machines that they connect to it can read and then you know what's going on with your car. So, um, yeah, that's what I think is potentially going on here. I don't, I don't buy the COVID-19 argument, let's say. I don't know whether for sure this is some kind of trade war issue or if there's some other detail that, you know, I'm missing, which I'm sure is the case. But the COVID-19 argument does not make any sense. Um, yeah, so, you know, take it uh, with a grain of salt. And um, we will hopefully revisit that, that point and, you know, whenever we get more information about what's going on. Reminder, next week we're going to be putting out the new podcast that is focused on international policy um, and, and international happenings, uh, trying to provide a little bit more educational content for you guys to learn more about what's going on in the world. And just like I mentioned in this podcast, it seems like there's a curtain around the United States and we're going to try to peek behind the curtain and see what's going on in the rest of the world, right? And see how that impacts us because it does, we just don't know it. So yes, uh, stick with us and hope to speak with you guys next week. All right.
see you.